I find that I'm usually drawn to people who I feel like represent something that's going on in a wider cultural context. So I feel like their music usually is representative of like a broader theme that's playing out within this country. And I think that's music that I've always been drawn to. And funny enough, I think it's storytelling at the end of the day. Hi, everybody. Welcome to season two of Storyteller. We are starting the season with our feet firmly planted in 2021. I've always wanted to use this podcast to learn more about the world and the wonderful people who occupy it. And I hope always that by following my own curiosity and scratching my own itch, I can make something of value that will help expand how you see the world. So the world of music is one I've never been super engaged in. Um, I've never been ahead of the curve. I'm one of those people who only finds out about the best new artists about three years after everyone else has heard about them. And, you know, I'm fine with that. I knew, you know, two years ago, whenever the last Met Gala was, I remember realizing that I just didn't know who most of the people walking the red carpet were. And that's fine. You know, I'm old. I'm getting there. But what does interest me about music is what interests me about all art really which is what it is reflecting about the world that we're living in at the moment so even though i don't know much about music or follow music what has been grabbing my interest this last year was just the bevy of musical talents that are dominating the british music charts and who are also finding success across the world so you have jay Hurst, you have kano the rapper Parsa Lu recently topped the BBC sound of 2021. That really grabbed my attention because I hadn't, I hadn't heard of him. And I mean, uh, the BBC sound of the year is an honor that's been given to artists like Sam Smith and even Adele. So even though I don't know the scene well, I just wanted to know more about these artists in these genre- genres that I don't know a lot about. So rap, grime, drill music, there's something about the music that I really want to understand and what I need to understand about celebrity in this culture on this strange island in these really strange times. So this week, I have Anathiok Ekpidum, goes by Neef. Uh, he's a writer who focuses on the ties between British music and culture. His work spans a variety of formats, but he caught my eye with his really compelling and sensitively written profiles of some of these huge stars that are just dominating British music today. There were two things I wanted to learn more about from Neef. Firstly, what it means to profile celebrities in an age where they can choose to give away so much of their lives on social media and why it's still important to place them in the wider context of society and history. And secondly, I wanted to hear his thoughts on the British music scene, uh, as he has profiled some of its biggest stars. Welcome to Storyteller, a podcast about how and why we tell stories. I'm your host, Lisa Golden, and that's an official welcome to season two. If any of you are newcomers, this podcast is a chance to hear from people from all around the world and all different fields. As I said at the top, I just follow my curiosity. I believe we're all storytellers. And I hope that by following my curiosity that we c- I can make this podcast for you to spark ideas in your brain and get you thinking about the stories that are being told around you and why they're being told and how they're being told. And maybe even the stories that you maybe want to tell yourself 
wanted this interview to be the first of season two because I think of the first batch of interviews I've done it really is the one that like challenged me because it's not something I know a lot about and it's easier for me um, to talk to you about things that I know about but this was one of the things that I, I saw I heard I heard all this music on the radio I was seeing stuff coming out and I just was like I don't know this world I don't know um, what is inspiring these artists I don't know why they're so popular you know I'm very old and out of it which we <laughs> you will hear during this conversation um, so yeah that is what this podcast is about I want us to sort of dart around the universe together and just try and understand a bit more about what all these wonderful humans are doing and creating and expressing both the both the the stories that they're telling and the storytellers themselves as you'll hear in this conversation i just disclaimer i'm not conversant in the world of modern music or celebrity or british culture um there are so many influences being drawn on from countries all over the world, music scenes all over the world. I cannot write you a thesis on the difference between drill music, grime, what's been influenced by American rap, what's been influenced by Jamaican dancehall. But the thing is, I'm curious to know about the things I don't know and or understand, even if I come across as a, a bit of an idiot sometimes. So that's my disclaimer over the top. And what I what I want, what I hope, what this conversation did for me was to get us thinking about the power of these stars, what they are reflecting about the world that they were raised in, the world that created them, what they were taught about life, about money, about fortune, about politics, about the reality of the world, what they're reflecting back to us in their music. So before I start, I always have to do the ask. Um, If there are any newbies, please do subscribe to the podcast um, or give us a follow on social media. I'll list the handles at the end. Um, Just support any way you can. I love it. Um, I hear from you guys. It was so nice to hear from a few of you asking me when the podcast was coming back. That made me really excited to jump on the microphone again. So I love talking to you. You can always message me. So now onto my conversation with Neef. I started by asking him why he considers himself a storyteller and how he went from studying law to writing about music. So, Anif, thank you so much for coming on Storyteller. Um, you know, I like to start the podcast by asking people if they consider themselves storytellers, but I've seen you've described yourself that way on, on a lot of your platforms. So... Can you just tell me why you call yourself a storyteller? Uh, yeah, no, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I think I just started to call myself a storyteller a few years back. And it's a title I'd wrestled with because my background is predominantly at the moment in uh, music, cult- music and culture writing and journalism. And I think as I started progressing through my, uh, through my career and I started really drilling down into my work, I realised that these like journalism, whether you're a journalist, a novelist, a filmmaker, all of these things are kind of just different mediums to express, I guess, similar thoughts, which is essentially you're trying to say something about people's experiences in a particular place or a particular culture or a particular community and that kind of thing. And I think um, that's something I've been really intent on within my work. So I felt it was quite natural in the end. I was like, I'll accept that I am a storyteller because that is what I'm trying to do with um, work that I'm carrying out. Yeah. And I think... Um... I kind of got a similar thing where like, yeah, our generation, I guess, of of journalists or, or media content creators, whatever. I mean, that's the issue, right? It's like, what what's the word that you use? And if you move across multiple mediums, it becomes a bit diff- difficult because like, like you said, the core of what you're doing stays the same. 
Um, but then you're just finding different mediums to tell different stories. Um, but I read in my in my research that you initially studied law. So how can you tell me a bit about how you got from wanting to study law to to where you are now? Yeah, I, I studied law at the uh, UEA, which is University of East Anglia in Norwich. And um, yeah, but my background is my parents are both from West Africa and they came to England in like the 70s and 80s. And a lot of people who whose parents are from Nigeria or Cameroon like mine are, you're kind of told a very strict path when you're growing up, which was you they you want your kid to become like a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant, something mm-hmm. like that, which was, I guess, guarantees career safety in a way that maybe they didn't have when they first uh, came to the UK. So I went down the law path. I thought, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be a lawyer. Yeah, uh, It's going to be great. I'm going to be debating people for fun uh, for hours and hours. And then when I got to uni in the first Within the first month or two, I think this was in 2010, I started. Within the first month, I was like, yeah, this isn't for me at all. Um, And for a variety of reasons, I think because I found out that law was actually quite a lot like maths in a way to to me. It's quite robotic. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was always quite a creative person with like subjects I was interested in and even just the way I thought and expressed myself. And yeah, law wasn't that at all for me. But I decided to stick out the degree because... I think I was the last year before the fees were about to be trebled. So I was like, I'd rather just stay, do the degree, um, get under my belt and kind of move on. But in terms of the actual transition from law to writing was an interesting one is that um, I think it was my last year, my last week of at uni and we'd finished our exams. And when you finished, you had to go and see the careers advisor to talk about what do you want to do like post-uni and post-graduation and that kind of thing. And uh, at the time I'd been blogging for a few music platforms, like a few like kind of UK rap music platforms, but nothing seriously really, just kind of pursuing passions and um, kind of writing about the music I was listening to and that had always interested me whilst I was growing up. And I went to the careers advisor and she was like, okay, so you've finished your law degree now, like what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, well, I could use this degree. Um, I've got the degree now. But it's not really that interesting to me. And then she was like, oh, so what else do you do? And I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm blogging for this music platform. And it's, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I've got to do a couple of interviews. Um, I love music. I love writing. And it's a great way to push the two together. And then I remember, always remember at the end, she said to me, throughout this whole uh, hour we've been talking, the only time you've smiled is when you talked about music and writing. So you should probably go and put your energy in that direction. So when that happened, I was like, okay, let me, uh, when I got back to London, I was like, okay, let me try and, yeah, work out how to crack into the, into these fields. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how powerful, like, one person just clarifying something like that can be. Do you know what I mean? When, when you maybe just have someone a little bit older, even just an outsider, be like, yeah, this is definitely what makes you tick. It's, like, not the other thing. Um, so can you tell me, like, um what was the first can can you remember like the first interview you did or the first profile you did or maybe even just the first piece that you wrote that you were like oh wow this is like amazing I can't believe I'm speaking to these people I can't believe I get to cover this thing I'm so passionate about interesting there was quite a few I think the interesting thing about because I predominantly write about British rap and predominantly profile a lot of British rappers and black British musicians in general um the really interesting thing is that you get well, at that time, anyway, you got access quite early to a lot of the musicians because there wasn't really anybody covering them. So quite early on, you'd be thrust into the kind of the spotlight with musicians that you'd maybe listen to for a really long time, which was an interesting mm. 
experience. But um, so there's definitely a few that stand out. I remember one was with a uh, guy called Giggs, and he's like a really big um, and really esteemed UK rapper from Peckham. And anyone who's my age and grew up listening to this music, is he's like a legend to so many people. And I remember I was working at a place called SBTV, which was like a YouTube platform, but they also had an editorial site. And one of our features was called A Day With, where we take out me, me and a photographer and we just spend an entire day with somebody, um, with a musician as they kind of go about their day-to-day life. And Giggs was the second person we did in that feature. So it was the day before, I think it was his fourth album came out, The Landlord. And yeah, he just took us around East London with him and his manager. And we drove around for like the day, listened to the album and spoke about some of the themes he touched on. And it was, uh, at the time, it didn't really sink in. But when I look back on it now, I look back on some of the at some of the images and like yeah this is quite a yeah like 14 year old Neef would have been very very <laughs> proud um and it was yeah it was just uh one of those moments that i think will always sit with me and i always remember and especially hearing about personally from him like i guess some of the struggles he had to overcome and how his mindset has kind of evolved um over the years was yeah a gem for me i think The world of celebrity has changed drastically in my lifetime. It's gone from the trashy tabloids that I remember from my teen years, which was like pop stars stumbling out of nightclubs, you know, or or actors taking out their trash, you know, they're people too, or, you know, paparazzi following people on their vacations, and it, and it was always this intrusion. But now, then we evolved into the social media world and stars are talking directly to us, directly to their fans, from their homes. They're taking us on vacation with them. They're showing us their babies and their lives and their their ups and their downs. So what I wanted to know from Neve was what it's like now to write a profile in a world where people can be so overexposed but also dramatically control their own narrative. And I just wanted to know how this has changed the nature of the celebrity profile. Do you, do you, do you, do, did you ever get nervous? Do you get nervous before you speak to, to people? Yeah, no, not really. I think, but I think it is the access thing again. I think because I had, was fortunate enough to have that access so early on um, that I feel like I've met all of my, I've met all of my like quote unquote childhood heroes, if that makes sense. Um, and I've met them quite early. So I think now I think I'm in the space where it's more just about the work for me. And I think I've always had the approach to it that, I approach it like as much as I'm a fan of this person, I'm a supporter of them and I'm a listener or I like what they do. I always try and approach it as like the interview is like, that's the job first. Like I'm going there for a specific purpose to try and execute and get the best interview that I can. Um, so yeah. that kind of dims, like kind of dulls a lot of the nerves. Um, I think it's only after, usually it's after when I'm thinking, wow, like how did this go? Did this go well? Did it not go well? That all of those feelings that were perhaps been held back then like suddenly rush to the surface. But um, up until then, yeah. it's usually, I'm, I think I'm usually quite calm with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, because I guess then, yeah, like you said, you're not you're not going in as as a, even, you know, as a fan or anything, you're going in for the for these kind of profiles. And I know you do um, other writing, but I, I just, I find profile writing so fascinating because I think, maybe in the era that I grew up in, like that was, that was kind of, there was, that was, there was like the crazy war reporter side of journalism. That was like the one super aspirational, crazy thing you could do. 
and then writing these like beautiful in-depth profiles and people for me was, was like the other the other sort of dream job that you just couldn't I, I didn't know anyone who actually managed to to get that far um so at, you know for people listening who 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 read these kind of profiles and and are fascinated by this kind of reporting like what what are you looking for when you approach someone like what what what's your process in um you know, writing these sort of pieces, because it is it is really um, fascinating to see how you like locating people in space and time and then inside of their own histories and inside of the industry. Like, do you have a sort of method that you go through? Yeah, I think a, a lot of the time I'm usually interested. I find that I'm usually drawn to people who I feel like represent something that's going on in a wider cultural context. So I feel like their music usually is representative of like a, broader theme that's playing out within this country and I think that's music that I've always been drawn to and funny enough I think it's storytelling at the end of the day essentially um, artists who and people who are storytellers has always drawn me in so I think that's the first thing I always look for and then I always look for I guess especially when it comes to music anyway like authenticity which I think you can always hear in somebody's music um, and in how they tell their story like is there an element of vulnerability there and all those kind of things and then um, after that then that's kind of like the, I guess, the preparation, I'd say. That is like the ground that like kind of lays on my preparation. So I, I'd go over that kind of thing and really try and hear what the message is that an artist, or hear the kind of the standpoint or viewpoint an artist is speaking from, and then try and connect with that with culturally what's going on, um, whether either in the place of the country that they're from or wider, in the wider context of the country that's going on. And I usually then try and join mm. the two up is how I usually think. I think also what's important for me with profiles is uh, I kind of call it, I don't think it's the actual term, but to me, I've always seen it as like the difference between outside, like kind of outside in writing and inside out writing. It's a really weird phrase, but that's how I kind of see texture mm -hmm. of profiles in my head. It's like, um, I always try and write, write from the uh, inside out, which means that I'm trying to place you in uh, at the heart of where an artist is coming from, where their music sits um, in the greater landscape of either the music industry or the UK rather than necessarily be observing them as they're going about what they do, if that makes sense. And I think that's like a balance yeah. that I'm always trying to strike. I, yeah, start writing and then eventually end up finishing writing. It's like trying to get that tone um, and like the texture of the writing to sit in a way that feels as if it's uh, not coming from a place where I'm looking in on someone, whereas like, as opposed to you actually sat there with me or with the person and you were kind of viewing their landscape from the ground level. I really love that. I think that's a beautiful way of putting it and like thinking about it because that is that I mean the, I think I was thinking when I, when I was just reading all of your pieces and like researching and just thinking a bit more about celebrity profiles and I I was thinking about how um uh I was thinking like I guess from my so I'm South African and like growing up in South Africa and all these sort of famous people were mm -hmm. a million miles away and a little bit pre-internet and then you know you'd read a you'd read like a profile in a glamour magazine and it was very much observed right like that was always mm. the thing was very like sort of a bird in a cage and especially female profiles which I guess I would have been reading more of would you know that was always mm. about like what they were wearing and like the hotel that they were sitting in and it just seemed like this fake world when you're a million miles away um so like seeing mm. the evolution of profile writing I wonder I wonder I mean it's been it's been a part of this generation now but do you think that like instagram and social media and the sort of accessibility that sometimes some celebrities um 
have. Do you think that's sort of changed the nature of the profile? Like it doesn't, um, because they've got so much more access to being able to express themselves. I think it's changed it in ways. I think I think what it has really done, I think, is the increased, um, as you say, like kind of accessibility and increased uh, visibility of a lot of uh, celebrities and high profile people is that now when you write a profile, I think for it to cut through, you need to really be going into places with the profile and with the interview that hasn't been touched before. And I think that can just, in a good way, can challenge you more, if that makes sense. Because mm. a lot of the broad level stuff we've already seen, I can open and go and see it on Instagram, the broad level stuff of what a person, you know, like a high profile person, um, has been going through what like the makeup of their life has looked like over the past year or so. That is quite easy to find out. So I think it's, um, for me, I've kind of taken it as a challenge to then um, kind of push the limits a bit and go and really see and try and be introspective with interviews, which is something I've always enjoyed, but to really try and find out, okay, like, because as we know, like social media is kind of, uh, um, people are putting up a front, you see what people want you to see essentially. Yeah. Whereas I think with a good profile, um, you can really reach into somebody's mind and find out how they see themselves and how they see the world in an honest way that necessarily you may not get through um, constructed like appearances yeah, on social yeah. media and I mean during during lockdown now or like the past year um have you found that like speaking to people over zoom or on the phone um is it is it is it different is it less guarded is it more guarded like is it different from like spending the entire day with them but then you know there's also the intimacy of people like being in their homes and being on their computers and like maybe they don't have a press agent sort of sitting a few meters away from them um yeah, has there been a, a difference um, in lockdown? Yeah, I think lockdown's definitely been, uh, there's definitely been a difference. And I think I was always, I think it's maybe the type of way that I, type of writer that I am, or just the type of person I am. I don't really like um, long Zoom interviews in general when I'm interviewing like a, a artist. And I think also that a lot of that comes from when you're interviewing a lot of, um, when I've, in my experience anyway, I've been interviewing a lot of rappers and a lot of um, musicians who maybe come from backgrounds where you're not necessarily, uh, you were kind of taught to not speak about what you're like and what you were doing. It's quite difficult to get somebody to open up in a Zoom interview I always found or in a phone interview, which I guess Zoom wasn't around for most of us before lockdown, in a phone interview or something like that. So that was always something that stuck in my mind when we did go into lockdown is like, that is going to be challenging. So I've kind of um, uh, not taken on as many I, as many interviews as I would have done maybe if we weren't in lockdown. But the interviews that I have done on Zoom, I think there is, uh, I guess there is an intimacy to it in a way where if you're phoning somebody or you're plugging straight into Zoom, there is like a, no preparation that kind of goes into an in-person interview, if that makes sense. Whereas, like if I know that I'm traveling to meet somebody and an artist or a high profile person knows that I'm coming to meet them, there is that kind of expectation in your head almost. Whereas, on Zoom, it's just like you switch on your laptop and then, yeah, there we both are. So I think it does, can take the guard down. But for me, I think I'd always, I'd always prefer um, face-to-face interviews. I think there's something about like the intimacy of conversation and like being able to bounce off people's energy and stuff like that, that is very hard to replicate. And especially with the type of interviews that I'm usually doing where I am asking, a, yeah, like quite introspective questions, it is good to be able to see someone and look at someone like this is incredibly meta like this is exactly what we're trying to do you know like you know you we 
you know there's a delay and you can't see people and it's really funny like I've even found with doing doing interviews for the podcast it's like it can it can swing like sometimes yeah. it can settle into sort of almost what feels like the intimacy of a phone call and then sometimes it can just be such a mess of you know like the delays and and you're trying to you know I always try to have the video up because then at least there's a tiny bit of reading the body language but like I also just desperately miss speaking to people in person because yeah there is definitely it's all the micro expressions and the tone of their voice and how you watch their body move. Like, yeah, it just gives you so much more information than like the sort of like brutal minimalism of just a voice, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think it's that. And I think also with um, like location, I think is always a big thing for me with my interviews. I think uh, I did an interview with a rapper called Nines from, he's from Northwest London. He's from uh, the church, church road or church end, which is a big estate in Northwest London. And that estate has been so synonymous with his um, with his music and with his story. And when we did the interview, to get to go there with him and then go and sit in like some houses and some flats with him made that experience um, so much richer, if that makes sense. And I know for, for uh, that wouldn't have been the same if it was over the Neve has profiled some of the biggest stars of the British rap scene, and he explores black British culture in his work. Um, and uh, I'll keep saying this, even though I'm terrible with new music, even I can see this dominance of these highly talented black British performers. And considering, you know, society's most powerful artists are reflecting the reality of the world that they are facing, I wanted to hear from Neef about what we could learn about where Britain is today in 2021 from this music. And I mean, with your focus on, um, you say like black British culture, um, what would you say is like the, this, the, I guess it's a hard moment to capture, right? Cause I guess we're, we're filming this, in, I mean, filming this, we're recording this in January, 2021, the UK is back in lockdown. Um, but I just think I'm, I'm not uh, very good with like music and that side of things. I'm like more mm. of a visual person, but I'm kind of really, I'm really intrigued to see what starts coming out because obviously, you know, all our, you know, reacts to what's happening in its time. And we're sort of now sitting six months post, I'd say the heights of Black Lives Matter and now, and still dealing with the fallout from COVID. Um, do you think, I mean, what would you say your assessment of the, of the music scene is at the moment? Sorry, it's a very broad question, but just sort of like, what's what's the feeling that you're seeing? Yeah, it seems to be um, a bit of a, I feel like it's in a bit of a golden era. I feel like we're living through a bit of a golden era when it comes to Black British music at the minute. I think um, for so long, there maybe wasn't the access to certain platforms, um, the access to certain resources for a lot of Black British artists. And there also wasn't the... Um, there was always the audience, but I think now with like the emergence of Spotify and streaming platforms, Apple Music, etc., a lot of the audiences who maybe weren't buying buying music are now streaming music. So an artist who ten years ago maybe had a big underground following, that artist's underground following is now officially counted in the charts. If that makes sense. So I think all of those little factors yeah. have really contributed to a boom that we're seeing, and I think it goes hand in hand with like the kind of rise in pride and expression around like Black Britain. Black British identity, which has been quite a recent thing over the past few years as well, and kind of the emergence of the various cultures that tie into that. Um, so I think um, it's in a very, I feel like Black British music is in a very healthy place. 
And I feel like we're starting to see more diversity of sound as well, which I know is, is something that people have been frustrated with, with, um, I guess, predominantly rap has been dominating that for like the past few years. But I feel like now we're definitely seeing um, a diversity of sound when it comes to like R&B, soul, and all of these different other genres, Afrobeats, uh, Bashman, Afro Swing, all of these different genres that are contributing. So yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited by it. And I think that a lot of the musicians are really telling the stories of what their various communities have been going through over these past few years, which I think is important to kind of document and archive that because in a, I don't know, for the generations to come, it's something you can look back on and say like, this was um, how people were feeling. This is what like the communities were living through. Um, and this is essentially like what the makeup of our lives look like. And I feel like music is really at the forefront of that, which isn't always the case. I feel like in in a lot of times in I guess contemporary I guess what would I guess be when I look through like white like American culture mainstream American culture um and especially when it comes to like white authors and white musicians it tends to often be from what I've seen in history like the that would be led by um yeah like literature and or they will be the people at the vanguard of talking about what the kind of context or the makeup of the country is like whereas I feel like in England specifically for black communities in Britain for black communities. I really feel like musicians are at the forefront of that at the minute, which is quite exciting thing um, to be living through and to be experiencing. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I was um, listening to some of um, Parsalu. I like, I hadn't, I hadn't heard of him. And then I, cause he got the BBC um, music sound of 2021, like sort of led me down that way. And Interesting. I don't know. I'd be interested. This, this is just a, a sort of thrown off thought, but I was thinking about, um, uh, you know, Charles Gambino and This Is America, like the commentary there of this American idea of um, cashing in and celebrating and 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 sort of like worshiping uh, black culture, but then at, at ignoring the sort of um, systematic failures that continue on in that country do you, do, you, do you see what i'm getting at like where where you have this celebration of a certain part of the culture but it doesn't address the structural issues and i know that's like a huge point <laughs> but um do you think there's a thread of that in the uk no. or is it is it the, the the america uk um there's so many similarities but then of course a lot of differences yeah i think in general i think that um yeah, I think across the board and worldwide, I feel like black culture seems to be at the vanguard of what becomes cool. Or when you look at like hip hop culture, previously you look at jazz and then you look at like blues and how that led to rock. I feel like often, um, and now we're seeing specifically, we're seeing like uh, music from across the diaspora and then also music from Africa now being at the forefront, I guess, of what is tailoring into like, I guess, global sounds and stuff like that. So I think there's, that's, been a case i think worldwide of um black culture being loved for the good that it, the quote-unquote good like i guess the entertainment and the fun that people get gain from it and draw from it um but then obviously not necessarily in tune with the struggles of the communities that are being represented by these musicians and i think that's been the case in america for quite a long time i think that's yeah i think that's the case in england uh, to an extent as well, and I feel I know that's kind of people are really trying to readdress that now, um, since the summer, with I know there's uh, like kind of black music coalitions, black music industry coalitions that have been starting the music and all in the music industry to kind of try and hold record labels and music companies to account and make sure that if you are going to benefit 
to the music community, you also need to give back and put it into the communities that you're essentially uh, benefiting yeah. from. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to do that really painfully awkward thing where I read back some of your writing to you, but I just thought this was so brilliant, so I apologize. I know it must be so cringe. But um, I just, across your writing, I also just, I found a really, um, uh, how do I put this? Like a really just beautiful observation and a a sensitivity to um, some of the commonalities you'd seen in in a lot of the, the rappers that you'd covered um, so I'm just going to read back. Just this line really stood out to me. It was just was just beautifully put. Um, and if it was in your Hedy one, sorry, I don't even know if I'm saying that properly because I don't. Is it Hedy one or Hedy one? <laughs> sorry, oh, I one. never, yeah, never yeah. sounded so white in my life. I apologize. <laughs> um, Hedy one. But you said um, <laughs> you said um, there's no handbook on how to drop one life and pick up another. The transition is a fumble in the dark and uncertain stagger between old habits and new realities. Um, I just thought that was so beautifully put, and I just I wanted to know if you could speak a bit to to that sort of transition and and that that struggle that a lot of artists are facing, where they get stuck between these two lives of the reality of their lives and the sort of fame and money and rush of celebrity. Yeah, no, <laughs> thank you for reading that. Um, yeah, uh, with Hedy One, he's re- kind of represents a whole generation of artists at the minute who are kind of emerging from um, UK drill and UK rap and they're coming from I guess from working class inner city black communities across the UK and they're coming from lifestyles where they were maybe doing illegitimate stuff that their music details for um, rap became any sense of like a viable career and they're coming I guess from these really extreme lifestyles that often many of them got into really young ages I think anyone talks about being a, like a teenager and going across the country, like, yeah, doing all kinds of things that, um, yeah, that your average 15, 16, 17 year old probably isn't doing. And um, he's quite explicit about that in his music and so uh, many other musicians of his kind of bracket and generation that are emerging at the minute. But then I think what's happened is now he's been through that experience, but now he's reached a point where his music is viable and all of a sudden, um, as we've kind of been saying, like Blash, Black British music as a commodity has become really valuable. So a lot of these kids who, well, I guess they were kids at the time, have had their lives changed in like an instant. So you're going from a uh, place where you're doing, I guess, kind of more illegitimate stuff. And then all of a sudden, within the space of a year, you are maybe like a millionaire or you are earning hundreds of thousands of pounds um, through music. And that transition, I think, has been really difficult for a lot of um, British rappers to make. And we've seen so many high profile um, British rappers despite being really big and having albums out, then go back to prison because they are struggling to make that transition from who they once were and the lifestyles that they once were in to, I guess, a music career, which is um, completely above board and all of that. And I think a lot of it is, um, I remember there's another rapper, Tion Wayne, who's from North London and I interviewed him for Vice. And we kind of spoke about the same thing. And he said, one thing a lot of people don't realize when they see like their favorite rappers or their biggest rappers go to prison and stuff, or 23, 24 years of your life, you've been one person and you've been doing a specific thing and your mind has been funneled in a specific direction and then you hit 25 and then that completely changes. Um, yeah, you start earning loads of money and you start getting loads of money legally and all of that, but there's still a catch up between who you were and who you still are to match the realities of who you now need to be to make sure that you stay on point.
So this is actually a part of the conversation that on reflection I wish I could have gone a bit deeper on, but I'm also aware that I hadn't invited Neef <laughs> onto the podcast to do a deep dive into racism in Britain. Um, so it wouldn't have been fair to start, you know, running down that road. But I hope I can get into it more this season because what I've realized, I've spent a lot of time in this third lockdown, we're in the third lockdown in the UK, um, I've been thinking a lot about structures and systems. I think about them all the time, but especially recently. And the idea that on some level, what gets spat out of, we're all what gets spat out of one end of a system. So if, if Britain, the idea of Britain, if it's empire, it's colonization, it's, you know, if you go from colonization to Windrush, to generations of housing policies, to systemic racism. If we if we look at all these threads and how they lead to this expression of the genre and music, I guess what I what I kept what I keep thinking is why do we call it Black British music and not just British music? Okay, I mean, fine, I can hear all the I can hear, but just stay with me on this one. How are these artists not a deep reflection of what the mechanics of this country are? this relationship and this tension of who belongs is not new it's hundreds of years old so are these artists not quintessentially british anyway i'm going to be stewing on this one for a while i understand like i did i'm not trying to like erase that but um i'm just going to stew on it for a while alongside the mortifying fact that i didn't know how to pronounce an incredibly famous rapper's name but anyway we go forward okay so um, I guess to sort of lead towards the end um, of our conversation, like who who are you excited about right now? Where should people be looking? Like, what's what's the the either music or a musician or anything that you kind of got your eye on that makes you excited for twenty twenty one? Because I think we desperately need things to feel excited about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think yeah, music wise, I think you already mentioned Parsonu. I think he's a, I'm a really big, um, yeah, supporter and fan of his. I think his music is great, and I think the way he just folds in so many sounds, um, from across like diaspora is amazing too. Um, and he's like got a really touching and a really deep story, which I think adds in a level of authenticity to his music, which I think you can just hear whenever he speaks on a microphone or speaks in an interview. I think there does seem to be like a quite a realness about him, which I appreciate a lot. Um, I think I'm really excited about the I'm really excited about the current um kind of generation of black British um authors and writers that are emerging at the minute. Um, which I think is kind of as I was saying before, kind of come off the back of we're seeing like black British music has excelled and then um kind of black British film and actors are excelling. I think now we're really seeing a generation of black British authors and writers starting to really emerge too, which is quite uh yeah, it's quite exciting for me to see who, who are my peers going on to do really amazing things and write really amazing pieces of work, whether it be books, um, articles, essay collections and that kind of thing, which, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed so far. There's a novel that came out last year, which I, I would still recommend to mm. everybody called um, That Reminds Me by a um, guy called Derek Arusu, who he wrote an, uh, a book or a novel in verse, I think it's called, about him not about him but about uh Ghanaian life in an estate called Broadwater Farm and his experiences not his experiences I think um the main character's experiences of moving from the countryside 
to Broadwater Farm, this estate in North London, which is also where Hedy One is from, coincidentally, which I think is also quite interesting that you're seeing so many mm. different art forms emerge from these different communities. But I'd really recommend that to people because I think that's quite exciting. And I think that's kind of like at the tip of a whole wave of other authors who are emerging talking about their communities where they've come from. So I'm quite excited about yeah. that too. Yeah. And I mean, you have a book coming out. I know it's only, I think it's next year. Do you want to speak about it on here or are you keeping keeping that under wraps for the minute? Oh, yeah, I can talk about it briefly because I'm still writing it, so it hasn't been really fleshed out. Yeah. But I can definitely talk about the like the outlines of it. It's, um, yeah, my book is called Where We Come From. It will be coming out on Favour Social in 2022. And essentially it's me getting a chance to do what I've always really wanted to do and what I've been kind of doing through my career, but exploring um, the British experience through music, essentially using music and using rap as a roadmap to explore what life looks like in different pockets of the country. So it will be centering on around four or five communities across the UK and how um, uh, what life looks, kind of documenting life and experiences in those places, but uh, through the lens of musicians and people involved in the music industry, and specifically like the rap crime, those kind of genres who existed in these spaces and how they've used music to transform their lives in big, small, um, in all kind of manners. So yeah, I'm writing it at the minute, which is a lot of fun to report and go and do the report and stuff. Yeah. Oh, well, I really look forward to it. I'll have to have you back on. I've got my in now. <laughs> so when it comes <laughs> out, I'm going to be like, hey, get you back on. <laughs> no, definitely. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on Storyteller. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. I'll see you again when the book comes out. <laughs> Thanks again to me for a great conversation and a great kickoff to season two. Um, as I've said, you know, there are shows that are easier for me to do. I can do politics fine. I can do Buddhism fine. I can do trauma and art and feelings, you know. But um, the whole point of this podcast is for me to learn from the best storytellers out there. So I'm so glad that I got to start this season with this conversation with Neve. Um, I'm excited to be with you here all again on the road. And let me, <laughs> let me tell you, 2021 has had a bumpy start and... I'm really glad I wasn't putting out podcasts, you know, the last uh, six weeks, whatever it's been, two months. Um, there was so much going on and I felt like I just wasn't ready to start this year. I know a lot of people are feeling that way. You know, I normally get super jazzed in the, <laughs> in the new year. I'm normally ready to go. And this year, I mean, for many obvious reasons, it just it just wasn't that. Um but, you know, as I put the final touches on today's episode, I was I was watching the U.S. inauguration. I just felt, I mean, maybe naively hopeful, but just at least a bit a bit of a return to the normal of before, even though that normal wasn't that great. But, you know, it's better than the chaos that we've been living in. You know, at, at the same time, the U.K. has just announced the highest death rate from COVID since everything began. So... I'm very aware that this chapter is not close to being over and I know so many of us are desperately, desperately tired. So I hope that the show continues to be just a warm pocket of solace and love and curiosity and hope. Um, It is for me. I hope it can be for you. And yeah, we've got a long road to walk here. So trying to keep some joy some curiosity some sparks some hope alive is as important <laughs> is is important for me um if i can bring you along with me that's uh, that's a bonus 
as usual you can please email me i love getting your emails storyteller at gmail.com oh sorry i lie storytellerpod at gmail.com and on social media you can just search storyteller i'm sorry i didn't pick a more specific name i know it's a pain if you if you search storyteller and my name lisa golden you'll find me on instagram and twitter um i'm so glad to be back thank you for joining me on this wild ride and until next time